Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this Tuesday a continuation of my Faces of Anti-Fascism, or Famous Anti-Fascists series. This week, I, in honor of the 50th anniversary of the coup in Chile on September 11th, 1973, I'm talking about Salvador Allende. Salvador Allende was the 28th president of Chile. He was the president during the coup, which was supported by the United States and conducted primarily by Augusto Pinochet. Allende was born in 1908 in Chile to Salvador Allende Castro and Laura Gossens Uribe, who were middle upper class Chileans coming from a long line of middle upper class Chileans who had primarily immigrated from Europe, specifically from parts of Western Europe and also the Basque region in Spain. Their family moved around from Santiago to northern cities in Chile, some of which are no longer in Chile, but which are now administered by Peru. Allende, that is Salvador Allende, the person that we're talking about, did very well in school and had a dream and intention of becoming a doctor. He went to medical school starting at the age of 18, which was normal for the time. And there at medical school, he also started his political career in Santiago, Chile, participating in student government, which has a long history of launching people directly into the federal government of the country. There at the Universidad de Chile and at the medical school at the university, he joined the student government and was a major leading figure in it. His time at medical school was also his real radicalization point. Up to this point, the Allende ideology, you know, the ideology of his family, had been that of a sort of like left progressism. You know, they were somewhat leftists in the Chilean political milieu, but they, they weren't radical communists, right? And Salvador Allende was no different. However, his time at medical school really changed him because he studied with a lot of professors and academics and read lots of books that presented medical issues not just from the perspective of individual pathology, but instead as a part of a wider social process, right? Thinking about how workers' rights impacts the ability of people to prevent themselves from being injured at work, or how child welfare policies impact later health outcomes for people who grew up in poverty or malnourished or how government policies can improve, you know, for example, maternal death rates, things like that, right? So Allende began to think about this as a system, thinking about health as a social system, and that is what led him into his more radical political perspectives. Allende faced a lot of oppression for his political leanings, starting with his time in medical school and up until his death by assassination. He was also imprisoned and even exiled to other regions of Chile as he was in and left medical school, even while he was trying to establish himself as a medical practitioner. Eventually, he left the full-time practice of medicine and became a leader of the Socialist Party of Chile, which would be his political home until his death. The Socialist Party of Chile joined the Popular Front government of a president named Cerda in 1938. So this is at the height of the rise of fascism. Chile is instead run by a leftist coalition, including the Socialist Party. Allende, as a member of this Popular Front government, joined the cabinet. He became the Minister of Health for Chile and advocated for a bunch of social reformist solutions to health issues, exactly in keeping with what his politics had been thus far. 
So that is, for example, workplace health provisions, you know, things like that would be commensurate with OSHA in the United States, you know, preventing uh, on-site injuries and people's exposure to dangerous chemicals, providing things like maternal care for people who were about to give birth in the state of Chile, and also providing free lunch for children at Chilean schools and universities. Allende remained in government in Chile from 1938 until his assassination, essentially, serving in the lower house of the Chilean government and also in the Chilean Senate. As a senator and as a member of the Socialist Party, Allende introduced legislation that would eventually create Chile's universal health care system, which was the first one in the Americas. Allende used his position in the Socialist Party and also his position as the Minister of Health and his history as the Minister of Health in order to run for president several times throughout the 1950s and well into the 1960s. He did very poorly at first, polling only at about 5%, possibly due to CIA interference, possibly because of division among leftists in Chile. But by the mid-1960s, he was getting roughly a third of the votes, so he was very, very close. At this point in the mid-20th century, Chilean politics was roughly divided into three camps. There was the left coalition that Allende emerged as the leader of, the Unidad Popular, the popular unity government. There was a right-wing coalition that had various names, sometimes it was the National Party, and this was eventually led by a guy named Alessandri, who was a president of Chile. And the third faction was the Christian Democratic Party which is a type of party that doesn't exist in the United States, but exists in most of the rest of the world where the majority is Catholic or where a lot of people are Catholic. This is a roughly speaking centrist political formation. You know, they're kind of okay with certain social benefits and, you know, certain welfare policies, but they also believe in the market and they also hate communists, right? So that, that was what Chilean politics was at the time. Allende ran for president again for the last time in 1970. And this time, he once again got just about a third of the votes, but this time, he got more votes than any other candidate. So, like I said, this was a complex victory because he was the first among three candidates. Him leading the socialists in the moderate radical left in the Unidad Popular. Behind him was Alessandri, a former president and this right-wing candidate. And behind them was Tomic, who was part of the Christian Democratic Party. As per the Chilean constitution, and essentially the same as the United States constitution, if one candidate does not win a outright majority of the votes, then the decision goes to the Chilean Congress. This meant that it was possible that the Chilean Congress could vote for any of these candidates. Historically, when this had happened in Chile before, you know, when a candidate only won a plurality, that is, they won more votes than anybody else but didn't get a majority, when one candidate had won a plurality, the Chilean House just immediately voted for that person, right? The person who got the most votes. Indeed, this is how Alessandri won his election when he was formerly the president of Chile. Except that Allende wasn't just any other candidate, right? He's a socialist. And he would have been the first legitimately, like fully 100% legitimately elected socialist in the entirety of the Western Hemisphere. This meant that in order to secure his victory, he needed to do some politicking. So he worked with the Christian Democrats in the Chilean House in order to say like, hey, yes, I am a, I'm, I'm a Democrat in the small d sense. Like, I am not going to disrupt the Chilean constitution. I'm not going to overthrow the government. I'm just going to be the president and I'm going to use the powers that I have in order to move Chile towards socialism in a fully normative democratic way, 
right? And the Christian Democrats agreed. They voted for him to be the president, and that is how Salvador Allende, in 1970, became the first and, at that point, only legitimately, like fully 100% legitimately socialist elected president in the Americas. As president, Allende followed through with all of his promises. He nationalized some major industries, specifically copper mines, the major export of Chile, and he also nationalized the banking industry. He also reorganized a bunch of state systems, such as public works, and eventually tried to move towards a more planned economy in Chile. There was even the beginnings of a plan in the early 1970s to organize the Chilean planned economy with computers, which would have been an extremely innovative thing to have done at the time. He also reorganized a lot of the social provisions and programs in Chile. For example, increasing the minimum wage, a lot more welfare programs that focused on the rights of workers, the rights of women, and the rights of children. That was what Allende's platform was. However, in the 1970s, the United States was run by Richard Nixon, and the foreign policy of the United States was essentially run by Henry Kissinger, two staunch anti-communists, despite their meeting with Mao. And they wanted to bring Allende and the Chilean economy to their knees. This meant that they organized a lot of sort of soft boycotts and other more serious, honest boycotts of the Chilean economy, which really hurt the economic situation in the country, which people in the country blamed on Allende, the Chileans being like pretty much anybody anywhere. They blamed the economy on the president, which is not exactly how economies work, but whatever. Allende continued to try to run Chile in this way against the specific warnings of his personal friend, Fidel Castro, who visited Chile after Allende became the president and after Allende re-normalized you know, re diplomatic relations with Cuba. Castro even gave Allende a personally engraved gun and warned Allende about the possibility of a coup because, you know, Castro could smell it in the air, right, having been a guerrilla fighter himself. Allende was an anti-fascist, and he was opposed to the right wing, but he firmly believed in the normative democratic process and the rule of law in a sort of normative liberal democratic way as the way to move forward politically. This was despite the violence that his opponents clearly believed in. When Allende was running for president, there had already been several attempted coups in Chile during his lifetime, some of which were clearly and very transparently organized in an attempt to prevent his inauguration as president. The long and the short of it is that by 1972, Salvador Allende was facing a serious crisis in which the people of Chile were divided as some of them believed that he was moving the country in the real direction that it should be, while other people blamed him for the economic problems that had been largely caused by the United States and its allies. Allende was also once again, as he was when he was trying to get inaugurated, facing a military that was disloyal and clearly upset with him. This eventually resulted in a coup that was uh, known about, but which was not specifically organized by the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom, among other Western powers. On September 11th, 1973, the military took over Valparaiso, which is the main port of Chile, and bombarded the presidential residence. It eventually invaded it and attempted to capture or kill Salvador Allende. While this was happening, he gave one last radio address to the people of Chile. This is available online. You can just look up Last Radio Address, Salvador Allende. I highly recommend it. There are many good translations into English and other languages if you don't listen to or, you know, if you can't understand Spanish. 
When the military invaded the Chilean presidential palace, Allende fought them off with his gun that probably Castro had given him. And he was either killed by the military or he shot himself in self-defense. It seems relatively likely, based on what recent evidence we have, that he probably did commit suicide in order to prevent himself from being captured by the military. And given what we know about how the military government that would result from this coup treated its prisoners, Allende was not entirely misguided for seeking that end as opposed to dying in the torturing hands of the army. Up until September 11th, 1973, Chile had been a less uninterrupted democracy than France. After it had its democratic government in the 19th century, it had only experienced one real interruption of democratic rule, whereas France, which most people think of as a much more democratic, quote-unquote, country, had experienced as many as five or six. Chile was, at the time, one of the most functional democracies in the world, comparable essentially only to the United States in its lack of, you know, like non-systemic factors that were disrupting democracy. After 1973, however, Chile descended into a 17-year dictatorship, first under a military junta as a collaboration amongst the leaders of all of the branches of the Chilean military, that is the army, the air force, the navy, and the carabineros, which is the militarized police. Eventually, this military junta solidified under the leadership of its first among equals leader, the general of the army, Augusto Pinochet. Pinochet had ascended to power in the Chilean army as a result of one of these earlier attempted coups that was trying to prevent Allende from being inaugurated. There was a botched kidnapping and eventual assassination of the leader of the Chilean army at the time of Allende's inauguration, which meant that a different guy was put into power and that guy brought up Pinochet. Um, and so this means that like Pinochet's presence as a leader of the Chilean military is in some sense happenstance. The Pinochet regime instigated a system of fear and national reorganization. They privatized what Allende had nationalized, with the exception of the copper mines, because they liked that revenue. And in fact, the Chilean military seized a bunch of the revenue from the copper mines, because of course, you know, all the privatization and neoliberal shit that is only a screen for the power that they want to take. In addition to national reorganization and privatizing of a lot of social systems, the Pinochet government opened up with uh, foreign investment and really transformed, reorganized the Chilean economy. This was alongside the wanton murder of political rivals and especially the system of disappearances that is in which the military and the government would kidnap people, torture them, and likely kill them without leaving any records or even admitting that the person had been taken. Eventually, this dictatorship would be ended in 1990 with a plebiscite that ended Pinochet's essential presidency for life. On today, uh, around this 50th anniversary of this coup, we need to remember Allende both as an example about how to combat the right wing, because Allende stood against the Chilean right wing for his entire life, from the 1930s up until the 1970s, as a real stalwart figure of anti-fascism and anti-right wing ideology. But Allende is also a warning. He's a warning about what happens if you don't take the right wing's claims to violence seriously enough. Allende was killed by exactly the kind of anti-systemic violence that he himself said was unacceptable, right? He said that that was beyond the pale and that it was not acceptable to rise up against the government in military conflict.
That is exactly what his opponents did to him. And that is why he died. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. And I'm on blue sky at 15-M-I-N-S-O-F-F-A-S-C, 15 mins of fash. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you Thursday. Thank you.